Jen is going to read from Colossians 3, verses 1 to 4, which is the word this morning for us. Since then, you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. For you died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. The word of the Lord. Will you read it one more time? Absolutely. (laughs) We're going to double up this one. (laughs) Since then, you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. For you died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. The word of the Lord. Thanks, Jim. Pray for us real fast. Lord, guide us now into your word, uh, into these uh, four verses that have so much in them. Uh, Pray that you would bring uh, at least some of the fruit uh, of the beauty of what's being said here to bear right now. Uh, Holy Spirit, come and teach us, uh, reveal truth to us, uh, lead our hearts um, to a place where we see you correctly. Uh, and we don't see you through maybe the eyes uh, that we're prone to see you with. Uh, Lord, you love us. Um, you're gracious to us. You're merciful to us. Uh, and that place that you sit is a place uh, that says it is finished. Uh, come into my presence. So here we come. We love you. Amen. Have a seat. <clears throat> so have any of you all done the escape game? Yes? Did you, in fact, escape? Yes. yes. You feel proud about that? Yes. <laughs> Some of the pastors uh, did that as a team-building exercise this week. We just sat in the one room and fought the whole time. I'm kidding. Uh, no, let me figure it out. Uh, if you haven't done the escape game, the premise of the escape game is, is you're stuck in this room, and that can lead to other rooms. I won't blow it for you. We played the Forbidden Treasure one, the latest one. Very good. Just a little plug for the escape game, okay? Uh, And the goal of the escape game is obviously this, to get out, right? You've got one hour to figure out all the things that you have to figure out in order to get out of that room. And so the big question is, is how are we going to get out of here, all right? We're going to have to, you know, things like we're going to have to work hard, we're going to have to work together, we're going to have to figure out the clues, uh, and then, you know, there's screens in every room so you can get a little help from the man above, right, who's eyeing in on you. But it's all so that you can get out of that room and get the glory, right? And the glory is that little sticker that you put on the back of your car, if you put it back there, that says, I have escaped, right? That's, that's the premise of the game. Figure it out, find out the clues, maybe you get a little bit of help, but in the end, I escaped. I get the glory of having escaped. Well, Paul has been spending much of the first two chapters unfolding all of the things that are true as a result 
of what Christ has done for the people in the Colossian church. Uh, They have been set free. (laughs) They have been made new. uh, To use the illustration, they have escaped where they were trapped, and none of it was their work. It was entirely Christ's work. And yet, he's addressing some of the problems and challenges that the Colossian church, and I would argue we as the church, just as human beings, were facing some pitfalls where they were going back into some old ways uh, where they were living as people who, who weren't set free, who were still trapped, who were still in the escape game. And for the Jews, that was trying to figure out how to get to heaven, how to get to God, get to the religious next place, right? Through their law-keeping for the Gnostic Gentiles, that was through their secret mystical ways. Both of those things were robbing them as a church of walking in the truth and walking in the finished, complete work of Jesus Christ for them. And the fullness of that work right now It's like the doors were completely open. You've escaped. You're set free. And yet they're walking back into the room. They're walking back into the courtroom, really, of having and looking at something other than Christ to judge them, to give them the verdict, like Randy talked about last week, you belong. You're holy. You're without blemish. You're free from accusation. And Paul has this pattern of how he's trying to get people to step into the reality. This is, this is what's true about you right now, and therefore live this way. And this is the pattern. We see it in these, these four verses. The pattern is this. I'm going to tell you the truth of who you are. Whether you understand it or not, I'm going to tell you this is true about you. This is who you are now. And then he's going to follow that up. He follows it up in this passage, verses 2 to 4. Because that's true, you've been raised with Christ. We're going to talk about what in the world does that mean? Because that's true. Now I want you to live in certain ways in light of that truth. I'm going to tell you who you are, tell your new identity. Then I'm going to tell you that you have a complete new capacity and a new activity as a result of that identity. So three things out of this passage I want us to consider. First one is raised. I've got it down to like three words this week. Raised, ruled, and reward, okay? Raised in Christ, raised with Christ, ruled by Christ, and reward in Christ. This, this commentary on glory at the end, okay? First thing, since then, verse 1, you have been raised with Christ. You have been raised right? He's speaking to people who are alive, right? You have been raised. You have to be dead. You have to be low, right, in order to be raised and brought high. So if they are hearing this letter, they're receiving this letter, what in the world does Paul mean, you have been raised with Christ? One of the chief promises, you know this, if you've been to church for any time, if you're here, you might be here because you're exploring, is that really true? One of the chief promises in Scripture is that when we die, if you're in Christ, you will be raised to new life. You will be 
given a bodily resurrection, right? So there's aspects of our resurrection that we know that when my flesh, and this is it's hanging on, but it's falling apart. When this dies, right, I'm going to be given a new body because that's what we see happen for Jesus. Jesus dies on the cross, and then he rose again. He had a bodily resurrection. So not just a spiritual resurrection, right, but a bodily material resurrection, whole, body and spirit. And he ascended into heaven. You can go read about that in Acts 1. And we have that promise in Scripture. It says in Romans 8 that we literally groan inwardly as we wait expectantly for those glorious bodies. Some of us are groaning more than others, right? Groaning for that tent, that flesh that isn't breaking down, that isn't subject to decay. We groan for that. But that Jesus who was raised gloriously ascended into heaven. It says here, he's been raised and he is seated at the right hand of the Father. That's the truth. So what does it mean that we have been raised with Christ? If I'm, I'm waiting on that bodily resurrection because I'm alive right now in the flesh, what does that mean for me now? Please tell me that's not just kind of like, hey, here's your golden ticket and you're kind of waiting for that day to come. There's got to be something practically that that means for here and today. Well, Scripture also says something that's true. It says this, that right now our spirits have already been raised. We have already been made new. Another way of saying that, Paul says it in other places, the old has gone, the new has come, that part of the resurrection has already occurred for us if you're in Christ. Maybe you've never heard that before, but that's that's significant that you've been given a new spirit and a new heart. And just like we can't raise ourselves physically, right? We can't raise ourselves spiritually. Scripture says that we were dead in our sins and trespasses. Another way of saying that is, is our heart was literally dead to God. And he had to spiritually come in there and breathe new life into our hearts and raise us up Give us faith to believe you are who you say you are. Literally, a spiritual resurrection had to occur, and that's the work of God alone. And Paul is saying, that's happened. You have been raised. So there's tons of implications of that raised reality, but for this morning, I want us to think of it in light of the context of the other things that Paul has just said prior in the letter. Because to be raised with Christ is the second part of what he said in verse 20, which is, is that I, have, I can only be raised with Christ if I've died with Christ. Remember what he says in verse 20, Colossians 2.20, Since you died with Christ to the elemental spiritual forces of this world, why... As though you still belong to the world, do you submit to its rules? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. You died with Christ to the elemental spiritual forces of this world, and you've been raised with Christ. Died to the elemental spiritual forces of this world. What that means, I mean, we could tease that apart, but what that 
can be translated as is I've died to the basic principles of this world. I've died to getting my value, to getting my identity, to getting my security from all the things that the world says, this is where your value is, this is where your identity is, this is where your security is. I've died to that. That's not how I live anymore. And I've been raised to a new place, to new life in him. Paul talks about this in 1 Corinthians 4 where he says, I, you can judge me in your human courts. And he says, I, I care very little if you judge me in your human courts. But then he goes on to say, I don't even judge myself. So your, your view of me is not where I get my value. My view of me is not where I get my value. Me living up to your standards isn't where I get my identity. Me living up to my own standards isn't where I get my identity. It's the Lord who judges me. I'm sitting underneath what he says about me. And where is he seated? And where have I been raised? He is seated at the right hand of God. So we are raised now. It's true about you. You've been given a new spirit, and you have been liberated. You have been set free now to walk in his ways. But it's very easy, if you're like me, to fall back into the escape game life. To fall back into the courtroom, to fall back into the patterns and into the rhythms of the flesh, is what Scripture describes it as, where I, I don't want, when Christ, who is your life, appears, you will also appear with him in glory. I don't want the glory that is given me by grace. I want the glory that is given me because I escaped. I earned it. I did it. And Paul is saying to them, no, 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 you've been raised. You have been set free. And I know it's possible to live like the flesh is, is more real, it has more power, and it has more authority. But brothers, sisters, church, he's fighting for us, and he's saying, please don't even make religion spiritually trying to attain what you've already been given. That's, that's the trick of the enemy. I'm going to get you working real hard to try to earn and attain what you've already been given. The doors have already been opened. You've been raised. You've been set free. We can spend our whole life in church doing that, trying to spiritually figure out the clues to kind of unlock the doors to the next place. When he's saying, the doors are open, run into my throne room. Paul's saying that the real battle, he, it's won, it's finished. And instead of living in the reality of that, I can get lost in the battle of trying to attain what I already have, which looks like living in that dead flesh, believing if I can just figure it out, if I can just get there, then that's going to give me real life. That's going to give me the glory I desire. That's going to give me the belonging that I crave. That's what's going to lead me to the judgment-free zone that's going to say holy, without blemish, free from accusation. And Paul's saying, you've been raised. You, you're, you've been brought up out of that. That courtroom, you have to choose to go back down in there. So since we've been raised, since that's true, that's our identity now. If you're in Christ, 
how do I begin to experience that more? Because even when I say that, and I'm the preacher, right? I'm like, yeah, that sounds really great, Dave. I don't feel that way most days. That courtroom, that escape game life, that feels more real to me. Trying to kind of navigate life and figure out the clues, and hopefully I get the sticker. I'm more familiar with that old self, that old mind, that old heart, those ruts that I go to where I get my value, my identity, my security, and things that can't give them to me. That's actually more real to me. Well, I struggle with it too. So let's talk about how Paul calls us to struggle with it. You have been raised. Since that's happened, set your hearts, point two, this is ruled. Okay, raised, we're out of raised, now we're into ruled. Set your hearts on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things, for you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. That's the battle. Not the battle to attain what I don't already have. It's the battle, and we've been given the spiritual resources to to do this. It's the battle of, I'm going to live with a heart and a mind set in the truth and the reality and the verdict of the one who sits on the right hand of the throne and what he says about me. It's a battle. What 2 Corinthians 10 says, you, you take every thought captive and make it obedient to Christ. That doesn't just mean like taking my feelings and be like, Jesus, I'm feeling sad today. It's literally taking my feelings to Jesus and saying, Lord, this is what's going on in my heart. As the, as the one sitting on the right hand of the throne, speak into that feeling, inform, teach me about what's going on in my heart and lead me out of that place. Lead me into what I'm supposed to pay attention to, how I'm supposed to live in light of that. Because you're in that position. It's a battle. I either take those thoughts, those feelings captive, or they take me captive, right? I think I said pirates don't take a day off, right? (laughs) They're constantly taking me captive. And so I have to set my heart and my mind. What does that look like? Some of you have heard my moon boots story. When I was in junior high, everybody knows what it means to have your heart and your mind set on something. It's when your energy, your thoughts, effortlessly, your time, effortlessly flow towards something, right? When I was in junior high, there was a girl that I wanted to like me, but I thought I was too fat for her to like me. That's the God-honest truth. And I thought that if I ran every day and lost weight for her, then she might pay attention to me. And so I did. I ran every single day, four miles every single day, and my little route went by her house, hoping that she would see little Dave out there chugging around the laps, right? So much so that when it got down in Indiana to like negative 20, I would put on a, you guys don't have snowmobile suits in the South, but like that's a full zipped puffy suit and moon boots, which they still don't, they don't make those anymore. I don't know why, because they're sweet hipsters, bring them back. Like, you've brought everything else back. Where are the moon boots? And I would put these moon boots on, which let's just say this, you don't run in a snowmobile suit and moon boots. It's just not running attire. And my mom, who was afraid to let me go out because it was so cold, would drive behind me in our Chevy Corsica with the flashers on. 
for four miles. I know, it's bad. And she would drive with her little hand out the window with people behind her like, go on, he's slow, right? And I'm just... And I ran and I ran and I ran. And I won't tell you the end of the story, but why was I doing that? It's silly. I mean, we laugh about that, but I've got a million of those. Of here I am, I'm in my snowmobile suit, my moon boots, and I'm running because this person has somehow gotten on the throne of what's going to tell me I belong. I'm loved. I'm okay. And I... That's what setting your heart and your mind looks like. You run for that. I'm sub-zero running with my mom and the flashers because my heart is set on the affection of Angie Mealy. The NIV says set your heart. Other translations say seek with your heart and your mind. Regardless, it connotates action and choice and the possibility of if I can set my heart and my mind on this, I can also set my heart and my mind on something else, right? Even if it's not worthy of it, even if it's not true, I can have my heart and my mind set somewhere that is only going to lead my heart and my mind to a place of fear, of insecurity, of all the things that are antithetical to the verdict that Jesus gives me. He's saying, set your heart, set your mind. Set your heart on things above. Just think about this with me for a second, because I I thought about this, I was meditating on this. Is that like looking at a brochure for heaven? You know? Is that like you've got like the pamphlet of the new development? And it's like, hey, you want to get your lot, right? And um, here are the floor plans, here are the layouts, you know, there's a golf membership and a pool. Is, is that what it means? Set your heart on things above, set your mind on things above, not on earthly things. This is kind of like, okay, I, I know how that works down here, but like, is, is it just a better version of that up there? Is that what it means to set my heart or my mind on things above? I think Paul, at least in this context, tells us what he means by that in the same verse. Set your hearts on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Go with me here. What it means to set your heart on things above, it's not about things. And there are all sorts of promises. Scripture doesn't talk a whole lot about heaven, to be honest. It leaves a lot to the imagination. But the one thing we know is true is, is that whatever is being prepared for us, he, he's preparing it for us, and he rules and he reigns over it and this earth. And so when he says, set your hearts and your minds on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand, what he's saying and what the right hand of the throne was, was the place of honor, it was the place of authority, it was the place where the conquering prince who had just won the battle, he came back and he took his seat. That's what that seat was, the right hand seat. 
because the battle was finished. Think of it in these terms. When, when even a, a thug sends his right-hand man. What do we mean when we say that? A right-hand man, it's my toughest guy. He's the guy who takes care and comes in and deals with authority on all the problems because he's got the power to deal with authority on all the problems. Christ is at the right hand. And he rules and he reigns from that position. Now take that image, that right-hand image, when he's saying, set your heart on things above, set your mind on things above. Remember, Randy preached on judgment, right, last week? And how the Colossian church was struggling with something that we struggle with just the same, just as much, which is living under the judgment or the verdict of something or someone other than Christ. I'm working hard to belong through my own effort. Jesus sitting at the right hand is saying, the battle, that's over. It's done. It's finished. Randy said it this way. It's not Jesus plus anything. It's Jesus. The verdict has been given so much so that spiritually speaking, you are already raised and now living in the new kingdom. We're not waiting on anything. I mean, we are waiting on some things, but we're not waiting for it to be done. He's done it. That's why we can pray what we prayed right before the sermon, right? That prayer is a heart-setting and mind-setting prayer. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Do you hear all the throne language there? You're up there, and I am already there in spirit. I already belong to that kingdom. And if I've been raised with you, then he is present with me right now. And we have that sort of access. And his will, because he's on the throne, his will can be done in and through us right now. Because he has made us holy. He has made us without blemish. He has made us free from accusation. And he's given us new hearts and new spirits to follow him. So to set your heart and your mind on things above is to live functionally today when we leave this place, as things are in reality. And here's the reality that this is saying to you and to me. It's this, you belong to me. I'm the conquering prince who came and defeated sin and death, and I've set you free. The battle's over. You belong to me. Your future, your glory, it's secure. You don't have to spend the rest of your life trying to pile it up here on earth. And you've been set free now to live in the hope. And remember, hope in the Bible is is confidence, right? It's assurance. The hope of the truth of all of this because that will radically change how you engage in everything you do on this earth. It changes how you interact with those earthly things. And what happens is, is I actually bring heaven down into those things. I bring him down into those things. I bring his authority, his life, his light, his truth. He comes down. Set your heart on things above. Set your mind on things above. Jesus in the Gospels paints a picture of 
of some of the things that challenge what we're talking about. And I want, I'm going to give you these things because I was meditating on this passage, and this passage came to mind. It's in Mark 4, uh, it's the parable of the sower, 4, 18 and 19. Listen to this because it, it paints a picture of what can, can kind of subtly climb up onto, without knowing it, the throne. It doesn't really have the throne because he has the throne, but functionally it can have the throne. He says this, Still others, like the seeds sown among the thorns, they hear the word, so they hear it, but the worries of this life, the deceitfulness of wealth, and the desire for other things, they come in and they choke the word, and they make it unfruitful. The worries of this life, the deceitfulness, the false promises, is another way of saying that, of wealth, and the desire for things. They choke out the word and they make it unfruitful. It's like a tree that gets covered. We have a lot of these in Tennessee. Tree that gets covered in vines, right? You guys have all seen this. It's completely covered. It's, it's, it's wrapped up in these vines. And it's still a tree, right? But you can hardly see what it is because it's, it's being choked by the things around it. It's not fruitful. It doesn't change the fact that it's a tree. What I mean by that is nothing can snatch you out of the Lord's hand. So we're not talking about your salvation here. We're talking about fruitfulness. We're talking about walking in the truth of who we are. It doesn't change that it's a tree, but it does change its fruitfulness. I struggle with this. Um, <laughs> this whole idea of setting your heart and your mind on things above. Um, and I'm going to try to say some, some about this. This is Sometimes the Lord brings stuff like day of, so go with me. Be patient with me here. But um, Using those categories, worries of life, promises of wealth, false promises of wealth, and desire for things. Um, one of the things that gets up on the throne functionally for me is fear. Fear climbs up on the throne. And that fear um, has a ton of tentacles for me. Um, and honestly, when I look at my life, a lot of times what I see is, is I feel like, Lord, you're sitting on the throne here in this area of my life. Um, I've kind of trusted you. And, and yet, if I just kind of go to a degree over here to the left, I realize, oh my goodness, this is like a whole other area of my life that I don't even know if I've explored, are you sitting on the throne of this area of my life? And um, fear oftentimes is the thing that shows me where he may not be sitting uh, on that throne, where I'm, I, I need to participate in what Paul's talking about, which is set my heart and my mind on things above. So here's how it works for me. I, this is a little bit of a mind map. You guys are probably like, eesh, what? Um, I'm assuming everybody in here gets afraid, right? Yes? Any people here who do not experience fear? I would love to talk to you afterwards. Uh, and for me, what happens is something causes that fear. One of the things I was talking about with a friend this week, um, one of the way, places I see a lot of fear in our community, I see it in my own life, it has to do with my kids. 
um, which in some ways, uh, if you have kids, we can all be guilty of just, they're just an extension of us, right? They're not even really their own little people. <laughs> they're just, you know, an accessory to me. <laughs> so I can be projecting my fear onto them, but I can become afraid. And we were talking about kids' schools. Everybody started sweating just as soon as I said that, right? Because you say the word school in Nashville and kids, and it's like, oh my gosh, what are we going to do? You know, the mushroom cloud goes up. And there's a lot of fear around that here. Is it a good school? Is it a bad school? Is it going to be good for my kid? Is it a good fit? Can we afford it? Can we not afford it? Whatever. And that fear kind of comes and visits. And then what happens, I call it a fear fantasy. I'm good at them. I like write little movie scripts in my head. I get afraid uh, about the present circumstances in my life or in my children's lives. And then because of those present circumstances, I become afraid about the future, right? Which is what he's talking about here. When Christ, who is your life, appears, you will also appear with him in glory. That's a future statement. So he's talking about present and future, right? You've been raised. There's also a future thing. So I get afraid, and as a result, I build a narrative out of, that, out of all my fear Legos, right? Little kingdom, shh, master builder here. And then after I've built my little fear fantasy, I react and I make decisions based on my imagined outcomes, which are all in my head. And as a result, what it looks like is fear is now the thing sitting on the throne, making the decisions and leading me rather than Christ is seated at the right hand of God and I am raised with him and I'm in that throne room. And so all of that fear, I can take it to him and say, I'm afraid, Dad. What do you want me to do? You don't need to be afraid of that. Here's how I want you to walk. Here's how I want you to step into this. Here's how I want you to go. It's okay. Don't, do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. The storm's going on like crazy, but Jesus is sleeping in the stern of the boat, right? He's not freaked out. That's how it looks for me. That's how easily, all it takes is just becoming afraid, and, and I have to, I come to this moment of, am I going to, by your grace, set my heart and my, my mind on things above right now, where you're at? Or am I going to let my fear be the thing that sits on the throne and decide everything for me? That's just one version that God brought to me on the drive this morning to church. And I'm realizing there's so many other stories like that in my life where fear, and that's just one of the things that can climb up there. Set in your heart and your mind on things above is actively bringing my heart, which is my feelings and my emotions. They, don't, they didn't separate them like we do nowadays, where your heart and your mind are these two different things. Back then, they kind of treated it as one. <laughs> your feelings, your emotions, your thoughts, and all of your relationships to your earthly things, bringing those into the place where Jesus reigns into the reality of I have maybe in some ways delayed, but certain glory. And I'm going to let your word and your presence rule and lead my heart and my mind 
from where they are right now, a place of fear, to a place where they can only be in your presence, which is free. I'm free from fear. Because I don't have to be in charge. I don't have to rule. You rule. You reign. When fear's on the throne for me, the number one calling card is busyness. Just saying. Maybe that's you too. I'm racing around trying to fix or solve or escape the escape game of life. The prison of my own heart and mind set on wrong things. Busyness is probably the number one byproduct of me realizing fear has somehow climbed up on the throne. All right, let's take that down. Because when I take that down, who's underneath all of that and sitting on the throne already is him. He never got off the throne. I just covered him up. So we've been raised with Christ. Setting our hearts and our minds looks like coming under his rule and bringing his rule and his reign into our lives right now. Let me just say this about the reward, the glory guarantee. And then I'm going to stop and we're going to sing these truths back into our hearts, okay? The glory guarantee, bringing the glory of the future into the present. It says there, when Christ who is your life appears then you will also appear with him in glory. Now, Paul is most certainly talking about the second coming of Christ, right? Christ's return. And there is, that's true, that he is coming back and it's going to be a glorious return. But I want to suggest to us that there's, there's also just something very practical for us today, and that's this that Christ and his glory can appear in a degree right now. That his image, says there, our life is hidden with Christ and God. What is hidden and concealed can be revealed to a degree here. Or we wouldn't pray that prayer. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. He wouldn't ask us to pray that if that weren't possible. So some of that glory can break in now. It says in 2 Corinthians 3, we all who with unveiled faces, that's talking about Moses having to put over his, you know, the veil over his face in the presence of the Lord. That's been, take the veil off, man. You can, you, you can run in and say, Abba, Father, now. With unveiled faces, we contemplate the Lord's glory, sitting on the right hand of God, right? On the throne. When we contemplate his glory, we are being transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. When we contemplate His glory, it transforms us. We are being transformed into His image with ever-increasing glory. You hear the progressive nature of that, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. What that's saying is, remember when Randy teased about the lock on the box here? He says, is this where y'all keep the Holy Spirit? We need to let Him out. <laughs> What that's saying in 2 Corinthians is, is if we are the temple of the living God, that glory can be let out of the box now. Like the spirit of the living God can begin to live his life in and through us in a way that people say, whoa, what's that about? Remember when Jesus said to his disciples about the way that they loved each other, he said, they will know that you belong to me, me who is seated at the right hand of the Father, and you've been raised they will know that you belong to him. 
because of how you love one another. What is he talking about? He's talking about the glory of a different love. That agape spirit love that's only possible because of Jesus Christ. You love and live differently because you're already a part of a different kingdom. You, we learned the Pledge of Allegiance in school, but we've got a deeper pledge. That glory can begin to leak out, get out of the box here and now. And how? It's by contemplating Him. We contemplate the Lord's glory. And, and don't miss this, and then I'm going to pray. <laughs> what do you see when you set your heart and your mind on that Jesus sitting at the right hand? Because when I see that Jesus in the throne room, I can get real afraid because that's, ju- that's the judgment seat, right? We were at a men's thing, and Joel Walker asked us to pray, God, humble me, use any means necessary. And I realized when I heard him say that, the only way I could think of that was, is God humiliate me? Because my view of the Lord oftentimes on that throne is, you're not pleased. I'm not doing a good job getting out of the escape room. And you just wish I could figure out the clues and get there. That's done. He's not sitting on that throne waiting to humiliate anyone. He's saying, I want to humble you with my love, which is, is, I've opened up the doors. You don't have to figure it out. Come on out. You're free. You're free. When I see him, I see the glory of God, and what I see is this. He had his heart and his mind set on us. You see that? When you set your heart and your mind on him, he's looking back at you and saying, good, look into my eyes and you will see my heart for you, my affection for you, my love for you. There is no more wrath. There is no more condemnation. There is no more judgment. You are free. Will you walk in that? I didn't set you free so that I could like hook you up to some contraption and make you work it off. I set you free because I want to be with you. I've made you my temple because I want to live inside of you. And we're going to be together forever. It reminded me of that song, George Harrison. I got my mind set on you. No? I know. There's like three people in their 50s who are like, I know what you're talking about. It's a stupid music video where the clock's like moving, the alligator's talking. Well, what's he saying? The thing says it's going to take money. It's going to take a whole lot of spending money. It's going to take plenty of money to do it right. It's going to take time. It's going to take a whole lot of precious time. You hear him? He's singing that song over you. I have got my mind set on you, my heart set on you. And the glory of God is is that I was rich and I became poor and I emptied myself so that you could be set free. Where is treasure? And when we When that coin drops, when you walk out of the escape game of the courtroom of this world and you walk in the freedom of that, people see it and they go, who do you know? Who loves you because you don't live the way I live? You have a security and a hope and a life and a light that I I don't get. Yeah, it's because I've been raised and he's on the throne. 
And I spend every day battling because there's a lot of battle for that throne room. But he wins every time. Let him climb back up on the throne. He's already there. Let him. Set your hearts and your minds on him. And live in that glorious assurance. It doesn't mean sitting around thinking about heaven all day. Bring heaven into your life. That's what he's talking about. Let me pray. Lord Jesus, thank you uh, for silly moon boots and <laughs> seasons and days of life where we, we're, we're just so aware of how we're trying um, to open a door through our own effort that's already been unlocked, um, to do through our own effort what you've already accomplished in, in its entirety. Uh, thank you that you gave us a spiritual resurrection and we await that bodily one. Um, Lord, may we be a community that learns and helps one another learn what it means to set our hearts and our minds on you. Uh, seeing you and seeing our lives through that, that throne room of grace. And Lord, uh, may that glory spill out into this neighborhood and into Nashville. Uh, I pray for our city. Um, I pray that uh, people who don't know you uh, would be in this church in a year and say it was because of the, of the glorious, different-natured love that I experienced because of the people in this room. Uh, help us to live in the freedom uh, that we have in you, Jesus, in your name. Amen.